Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm talking to Julie Noonan, an experienced executive coach and change management strategist and founder and CEO of Julie Noonan Consulting. As we're all aware in life, change is inevitable. Whether it be in your personal realm or in business, things are always shifting and events can occur and circumstances change at any moment in time. Whether these be positive or more challenging ones and any change requires adaptation, bold decisions and sometimes the adoption of a new set of values. In business, change management is one of the most difficult things to master. One of the great skills of any business leader is the ability to recognize the need for change and then act on it in a way that benefits both the business and the team. And haven't the past few years really tested this ability? As well as change management, I wanted to get Julie's perspectives on her other areas of expertise, which include the approaches to work and values, from the different generations, reverse mentoring, and the meaning of legacy. With more changes coming in 2023, I thought this was a good way to kick off the new year. I hope this conversation gives you some valuable insights and tools to successfully deal with whatever comes your way in 2023. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Julie, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on the podcast. I'm going to really tap into your expertise during the course of a conversation, I'm sure. Some of the topics, just for our listeners, that we're going to cover is managing change, generational issues within businesses, and um, setting a kind of a forming or setting a legacy. So I suppose we should pick one of those to start with, and let's go with generational issues, shall we? Because we'll soon be in that kind of situation where there's going to be at least five different generations within a workplace. And there's some kind of key issues to that, isn't there? And some sticking points and trying to get people to understand each other better around that. I mean, what have you seen and what advice and experience would you give to a business owner running a business with all of these generations within it, Julie? Well, the first thing that that I notice when I'm looking at generational issues within a workplace is the real key to understanding each other is understanding each other's values and where they come into play, because a lot of the behaviors come from the values. And I recognize that a lot of the older generations in particular have a have a really hard time understanding the younger generation's value set particularly around uh, the need for flexibility, the the need for a set hours, if you will. They really and truly are focused more on 
working to live as opposed to living to work. And mm, I think it's a big shift there, isn't it? It's there? a there's big a completely shift. different dimension change. Absolutely. And um, that's that's one of those things that it's difficult for um, the older generation to grasp that we can still be as productive and we can still be on the career track without killing ourselves, basically, <laughs> which is what, you know, the older generation of which I'm part, uh, really, that was our value set. That was how we showed yeah. our value to the company was we went over and above and rather yeah. than just doing an excellent job. Yeah. It's interesting though, isn't it? Cause that then causes quite a lot of conflict in the workplace, doesn't it? And, and, and some of this, I suppose some of the change has been fueled as well with COVID and work from home and all of those kind of topics mm -hmm. that come into the workplace and perhaps made your generation and my generation start to think a little bit more differently and be more accepting of that flexibility. I mean, have you seen in the work that you do with the organizations that you work with and the you know, leaders that you coach, that attitude shift perhaps in 21, 22 compared to 2018, 19? Actually, yes. Um, I have, I've, I recently wrote a, wrote a post for LinkedIn about, I call it the great Band-Aid ripoff. So <laughs> COVID was the great. I love that term. <laughs> COVID was the great Band-Aid ripoff, meaning that I think a lot of the shifts that we're seeing now that are more accepted, uh, for instance, working from home, working remote, the flexibility, diversity, and equity and inclusion, mental health being more apparent and, and accepted to speak about in the workplace, all of those things had started well before COVID, but the shift really truly was accelerated when COVID hit because there was no choice. And when you have a change like that, where there's no choice, it's amazing how innovative and how creative people can become once they stop fighting it and start realizing that they can still be successful in the new, in the new reality. Um, they may not yeah. like everything in the new reality, but let's face it. They didn't like everything in the old reality either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, but I think the key, the key for, for the older generations is, is really um, they, they faced new technologies, they faced new dynamics, they faced new values, and they were successful anyway. And mm -hmm. some of them were even more successful. And they realized that there's way more ways to do work than what they were brought up uh, believing. Yeah. So I think the ones that, that really started to collaborate more with the younger generations and understand those values are, are really hitting it 100% at this point. It's that, yeah, the great Band-Aid ripoff. I love that. I really do love that term because that's what it did, wasn't it? But I suppose it brought the older generations to see the perspective in the world and actually to take some, they had some time. So they started to see actually there is more to life than just, you know, giving everything to one organization, one business, one perspective, getting better balance in life and gave them the eyes of maybe the younger uh, generations to, to see that. But you also do some work Julie, with as I understand it, is 
helping the kind of last of those baby boomers Mm -hmm. to leave you know to come out of the workplace to transcend into a kind of retired life and all of those kind of things and what specific challenges do you think those baby boomers face and how do you help them overcome those challenges if you think about it the last year of the baby boomers um was supposedly 1964. that's the the most common year that we hear about if you think about that there's nine more years before at least in the u.s they're eligible to retire in in at when they're 67 so that's nine more years in the work in the workplace mm. it doesn't feel very long <laughs> when for instance you're my age and you're looking at that but um it it really is a long time still to be to be productive and to be contributing in the workplace. One of the things that I'm finding when I'm speaking to a lot of um, my coachees is they're feeling that they're going to become obsolete, meaning they don't feel like they can keep up with the technology changes. They don't feel like they can keep up with, you know, the social media trends and the new generations, even the language uh, that's being used, um, just as part of everyday speak, it's difficult for them to um, relate to because they're not watching the same TikTok and they're not looking at, you know, they're not looking at the same TV shows as the younger generations necessarily. And of course I'm generalizing here. Yeah. But probably the biggest thing um, that they worry about is becoming obsolete is Mm -hmm. not having Uh, not having enough to give that is relevant in today's world. And one of the things that they tend to discount is their experience because um, they're used to not being questioned necessarily in their experience. But the younger generations, because they want to learn, they're so eager and willing to learn they ask lots and lots and lots of questions and a lot of questions like why why are you doing it that way we can do it this way it's much faster but because the older generation doesn't necessarily understand what they're talking about as far as doing it faster they take it as a as a direct um, challenge to their authority or their experience And one of the things I work with executives on right now is, okay, we need to look at every person as a unique package of skills and experience. Mm -hmm. And yours are as valuable, if not more, as someone else's, only because you've had a lot longer to work with those skills. So don't be afraid to turn around and ask, you know, what do you mean by that? Or... I'm not sure what that means. Can you can you um, give me an example that doesn't negate your power or your expertise? What it does is it raises you from in a respect situation with the other person. And then that gives them the opportunity to share their experience. And who doesn't want that in the workplace? I mean, how valuable is that? that greater understanding of each other and and ensuring that we are playing to everybody's strengths Mm -hmm. and understanding what everybody's strengths are when you can get that and that flow within a business and organization it's really really powerful isn't it absolutely and i suppose this challenge around multi-generational 
kind of issues is going to only grow, isn't it? Because, you know, we are, you know, you state in the US retirement age of 67, 65-ish in the UK. Um, but we are expecting people to, you know, because people are being healthier, you know, maintaining better lifestyles, living longer. Actually, you know, people are working way beyond Absolutely. normal, you know, in verticals, normal retirement age. And I suppose that's what's cre- creating this greater kind of chasm nearly between having so many generations in the workplace isn't it so it is something we need to adapt to it needs something we need to get used to isn't it and something as business owners and leaders we've got to find a way of gelling everybody together haven't we well one of the one of the reasons why generation x is considered the forgotten generation is because the boomers and I'm just going to say this pretty bluntly, the boomers wouldn't get out of the way. (laughs) If you think about it from a career trajectory perspective, there were so many boomers and then there was a little slice of Gen X. And then there's so many millennials that they Mm. basically got squeezed between these two groups that because of their numbers had a lot of power. And I think with the with the boomers hanging on longer and longer that they tend to want to hold that power they want to hold Mm -hmm. those leadership positions and one of the things that that impacts business when that happens is it stifles creativity and innovation when there isn't a good churn within the power structure Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things that I work with um, the boomers on is, okay, do you want to hold on to this power or do you want to change how you um, contribute to the workforce? Hmm. You know, is it important for you to have the corner office and to have all the trappings and trimmings? And by the way, that's becoming less and less important since the corner office is now, you know, <laughs> your office house. <laughs> the corner shed in the corner shed <laughs> or yeah, the corner of your kitchen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, why, why do you need to have that title when you could contribute in, a, in another way and allow someone else mm. to grow into that title and to grow into that yeah that position and you can advise and and i've also heard you talk about and read articles that you've written around reverse mentoring and Mm -hmm. i suppose that's what you're starting to talk about there is it julie yeah uh reverse mentoring is not my term i wanted just to say that out loud um it was coined by jack welsh back in the 90s at ge Mm. and what he meant when he said reverse mentoring was he wanted his the younger generation of engineers that were coming in um, to teach the older engineers the new technologies that were happening at the time. It wasn't a back and forth situation. When I say reverse mentoring, I think I'm going to change it to switch mentoring. Actually, what I mean is is pairing up um, someone from a from a an older generation with someone from a younger generation. With the, with the sole purpose of mentoring each other. Because anymore, you know, the Socratic method of the, you know, the old person holding forth to the young people and them soaking mm-hmm. up the language, soak, soaking up all the, the uh, information, it really doesn't work as much anymore because the information is stale. 
um, the mm -hmm. information changes so quickly these days that really the only way that a leader is going to succeed is to get right in it and keep learning as if they never stopped as if, and the good leaders never stop, but get rid of the trappings of, I have to be the, the expert and become vulnerable and work with someone younger, mentor them in what you know, and allow them to mentor you at the same time. So that is what I mean when I say reverse mentoring or switch mentoring. And some companies are actually already doing that. And I suppose that is the biggest way, isn't it? In terms of, you know, we talked about, you talked earlier in our conversation about technology and it moving at such a pace. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, there's a generation that's missed, is missing all of that. Mm -hmm. I suppose that is the solution. Is it the only solution to helping the, those older generations keep up to date with technology and the changes taking place? Or is there any other techniques that can be adopted, Julie? No, I think um, there's just like any, it, learning is learning there's a million different ways to learn um certainly there's enough online right now <laughs> to learn whatever you want to learn i think though it's that it's the explanation of the fact it's the explanation it's the it's the lived experience that really counts so where executives can can um, get in the in the dirt and dig a little bit in their organizations, take a look at those social media metrics and why they matter. Take a look at uh, the new technologies as they're coming up and envision with the younger generations on what it could look like. Right now I'm working with a company on a change management project and um, they created a um, artificial intelligence machine learning center of excellence so that the entire organization can understand first what AI is, and then secondly, how they can apply AI in their regular jobs. It's not just for technology, um, technology professionals. Yeah. And so, you know, organizations are doing a lot around that kind of thing. Um, and, and another thing too, I think the open learning, the free access learning that is available, um, LinkedIn, you can uh, purchase learning that is university level learning at Coursera and some others that I've come across recently. There's a million different ways, depending on what you want to learn. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose, but you know, I, I talk a lot about those individuals I coach and the organizations we work with, because it's something that worked for me and, and the businesses I've had is every, you know, I need to lead from the front, but I need to lead from the front with a growth mindset. And then I want everybody in the organization to have that same growth mindset. And for me, that doesn't mean that we want everybody to aspire to be the managing director, the CEO. We just want them to learn and get better at what they're doing and have that mindset that how can they do that? Where can they get that knowledge? And, you know, and be open minded to what's what's happening. And I, I suppose that really is the culture that an organization needs to succeed, isn't it? In terms of that learning piece and adopting technology and, you know, becoming a better organization. Exactly. And that bring actually that brings up an interesting an interesting point is we make assumptions that everyone wants to have the corner office. We make assumptions that everyone wants the power position. 
we define leadership tracks according to that. And I think it's high time that um, we really and truly embrace the fact that flatter organizations may be the ultimate and you get paid and you are rewarded for your expertise and whatever it is that you bring to the, and the value that you bring to your company, as opposed to your title and position and how many people you, you know, have report to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As we kind of wrap up this generational conversation, which I've, I've loved, and before we move on to a new subject, I suppose mm-hmm. go slightly off piece. I'm keen kind of, you know, you're, you know, based in the US. US is this kind of seen as, you know, strive, work hard, you will achieve, you know, create, well, you know, you can start with nothing and you can become the president and all of that kind of, you know, that's kind of in embedded into the mm-hmm. from the outsider's perspective in the US how do you think all of this generational piece is going to play out in terms of the culture you know and the values of the US as a country oh we are in the middle of it right now we are definitely in the middle of it right now um i think some of the the basic premise of uh you can succeed uh, the world is open to you. Yeah, you may have to work hard to get there. Those things, I think, will stay. I don't think that's something that mm. will change with with our culture war, if you will. What will change, however, is some of the implied judgment in all of that. Mm. Um, there where we're really struggling as a nation, in my opinion, with our values is judgmental type um, topics. It used to be that we allow people to be whoever they want to be. But at that time, you know, back in the 1800s, who you could be was in a little box. (laughs) There weren't, you know, there wasn't anything that you want to be. Right now, the the who you want to be has no box. There is no there are no boundaries. We're breaking through all of those boundaries as a world and as a human human um, culture globally. We're changing. We're changing what it means to be a human being, and it's going to be messy. And it's very messy in the United States because it's okay to be a human being within what I define as a human being. It's not okay to be anything different than that. And that's where we are right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that very honest answer. It's just as we were having the conversation, I'm thinking, how does this play out in terms of the US generally? So getting back on topic a little bit, um, you talked earlier about, you know, the, that significant change management projects that you're, you're going through with a client at the moment. And I suppose that leads on to that kind of question of change management and what is you know, how do we really define what effective and successful change management is, Julie? I mean, what's your perspectives on it? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question, if I can answer it. certainly is. <laughs> if I can answer um, it. Okay, for, so for me, change management is being intuitive enough to help not only groups of people but individuals absorb and create and move forward through a change, whether they like the change or not. And um, it takes a lot of 
shenanigans <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And it takes the best change practitioners in my mind and the best sponsors of change in organizations are those who don't sugarcoat what the real mm-hmm. need is. They don't sugarcoat the the situation, the 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 downside maybe or the consequences of making these big decisions. They don't sugarcoat it and they don't back away from those. They face their fears. They face the fear of failure. They face the fear of having to lay people off. They face the fear of, you know, an ERP system that cost $30 million failing. They face all of those fears and they say, okay, that's what I'm afraid of. How can I help it not happen? that way? How can I help it be successful? And they remain positive through the whole thing. Not insincerely positive. If they don't like something about the change, my first, my first um, consult with them is, okay, tell me what you don't like about this. Because whatever you don't like about it is going to show up in every single interaction you have with the people that you're trying to talk into it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so let's get, let's get you sorted and then you can talk um, and really help other people through the change. Yeah. It's good advice. It's great advice. Isn't it? And I suppose, you know, when we talk about change management, we talk about that change management curve, don't we? And, and that piece around, you know, people go into shock, denial, anger, blame. Mm-hmm. The kind of low point is that piece around uncertainty before people kind of accept it and perhaps then get involved and help solve the problems and then commit with everybody. But the biggest thing that I see as being that challenge is that we all go through that change management curve, don't we? But we all go through it at different paces. You know, we're all human, we're all different. And, I mean, have you seen any techniques or is there anything that a business owner business leader can do to try and help their team through that change management curve in a more coherent and a manner at a similar type of pace oh if i had the answer to that i would be the change management (laughs) guru of all time um there are certainly things you know, that that a that a sponsor can do or or a leader can do. There are tons of things mm-hmm. actually. I think the most important thing is to keep in mind that not everyone's experience is the same, and mm-hmm. that yes, you can get you know eighty percent of the people on board and 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 close to the same point in the change curve. But you have to also realize that people have individual choices, and people will drop out all the way along that change curve. And you have to, as a leader, understand what is going to be um, my response to that. So if I have, you know, people dropping out at the beginning and just not participating or not willing to listen or whatever, how long am I going to give them before they need to make a change outside of the organization, Um, regardless of who that is? And that's the other thing is the hypocrisy sometimes that I see. Oh, I can't, I can't hold Joe to the same, you know, consequences as Jill because Joe is a higher performer or Joe brings in more money or Joe, whatever. Well, you know, sorry, but you're tanking your whole change effort because you're allowing Joe different rules than everyone else. 
Um, So first of all, hold yourself to the same rules and accountability as, as you're holding your organization. Secondly, openly express your concerns about the situation and not sugarcoat it. And number three, don't be hypocritical, you know, in, in your actions, the, I've heard the phrase, the fish rots from the head. So whatever the leader does nine times out of 10, the people will do. So that's, those are the, it's, it's all, there's no tool. There's no specific thing. It's really more of an art most of the time than a science. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we have tools, we have methodologies, you know, I'm certified in several of, of the, the more popular ones. But what has made me successful is I go in, I have all of my tools, but I don't bring them all to the site with me. I bring nothing except my, my ears and, you know, listen. And then once I get the feel for where are the biggest risks in this change, that's when I bring in the tools necessary to help it work. Brilliant. Great summary, Julie. And, and I suppose that it does, doesn't it? It's, it's summarizing what you've said there. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to, you know, good change management is great communication and yes. living the values, isn't it? You know? Yes. And actually, it's those kind of things that, you know, are the overarching umbrella that make change work. It's then having the skills and the tools and the project management piece underneath it that, kind of cascades that that through so I kind of you know the third topic I wanted to talk to you about today is around kind of legacy so it I know again I've read some articles and bits and pieces you've talked about around legacy and I suppose I've got to start with how do you know would you define what it means to have legacy in a business oh um so my definition is when someone uh, leaves an organization and they have spent several years there. The best leaving, I think, that can happen and the best legacy that can be left isn't, you know, the biggest project. It isn't the biggest years of prosperity or whatever the case may be. It really is how do the people in that business who worked with you, how did, how did they feel when you were there? Did they feel cared for? Did they feel valued? Did they know how they contributed to not just the success of, of the business, but also to some purpose bigger in the world? That to me, they're going to remember how they how you made them feel. And that's not my quote that I think that was um, Brene Brown or Adam Grant. I can't remember, <laughs> but um they won't remember what you did or what you said or what you, your behaviors necessarily some, some do, but they will remember how they felt when they, they think thought about you and how you treated them. And that's really, uh, and it's such, so it is, it's a well-known saying and I can, I don't know who to account it to either, but, but it is so true in life, isn't it? Generally, as well as in, in business. And I suppose that that's a little bit when you talk about that, it comes down to that piece around purpose. And if we're not careful, we kind of loop back around to the generational thing. Yeah. Whereas we go back to there's, you know, the latter, you know, the generation X, but definitely the baby boomers, it's more about the purpose and doing good and business for purpose and business for good. 
weren't necessarily in the vocabulary, but they are very much in the vocabulary of the younger generations, aren't they? Absolutely. If, if, if all you can say about your business is we make money, um, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of recruits from the younger generations. And and I would also argue, what you know, how long will that business survive in the modern world as well? Right. Because even consumers want more, don't they? We want more from the businesses we interact with. Absolutely. You know? uh, all of us need that. So, really enjoyed our conversation. I always end with one particular question, which is a sort of more personal question: Is what does success? mean to you julie i mean we've had a great <laughs> wide-ranging conversation here mm-hmm. and we'll start to talk about legacy towards the end of that conversation but i'm really keen to hear what's your personal definition of success it it aligns pretty much with legacy actually it's my personal definition of success is being able to positively impact the life of every person that i meet Brilliant. that's pretty much it, Love it. <laughs> Love the definition. Perfect. If people want, you know, the people listening to this podcast want to learn more about you um, and make contact with you, where can they go? Um, they can go to my website, jnoonanconsulting.com, or they can link in with me. Fantastic, Julie. You've been a great guest on the Evolved Succeed podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Warren. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.